the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Alec Perry and this is Thrill of the Hill. In today's episode of Thrill of the Hill, I sit down with RSPB's Dan Brown and we discuss the state of hen harrier management in Scotland, the current conservation status of hen harrier, implications for the agri-environment climate scheme and practical steps farmers can take to improve hen harrier populations on their farm. Hi there, Dan. How's it going? Hi, Alec. Not too bad. Yourself? Good, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm very well, thanks. Um, Dan, I know this has been uh, in the pipeline for, for a long time now, but thanks for, for taking the time to sit down and, and have a chat with us. We really appreciate having you here for the Farm Advisory Service. Can you just um, give yourself a bit of an introduction, uh, explain what your role is within RSPB and, and maybe some of the projects you're working on? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, thanks for the invite, first of all, as well. Um, So I'm a senior conservation advisor at RSPB. I've been here for about 13 years. And most of that time has been kind of working with with farmers on projects that used to provide free farmland bird surveys on their farms through a project called the Volunteer and Farmer Alliance. And in more recent years, there's been a real focus on on agri-environment schemes. So I generally work in southwest Scotland, so across Lanarkshire and Ayrshire, and we've got several kind of partnership projects down there focused on uh, like breeding waders, peatlands and and agri-environment schemes. So working a lot with your colleagues at SEC and also independent consultants to to work with farms and estates to kind of help shape and support agri-environment applications. Um, And then when it comes to the the sort of spring survey season, I do a lot of work, uh, field survey work, uh, particularly on waders. So we're currently going out finding as many nests as we can in, in different parts of the uplands and seeing how many nests hatch, you know, to compare hatching success in different upland land management systems to kind of monitor the impact of agri-environment. Is it working? Can it be tweaked and improved? Those sort of things. I'm sure we'll come on to that in just a little bit. Um, Dan, the idea behind the podcast is that we discuss topics that are affecting sectors that are involved in the farmed upland environment. Uh, now, I do a fair bit of conservation work with, with SAC Consulting. Um, we were just discussing before we started recording the, the announcement of the Agri-Environment Climate Scheme deadlines. Um, I, I'm just wondering, in terms of hen harrier, which, which is really what we're here to talk about today, uh, and it being uh, classed as a, a national priority species, is that something that, that you welcome? Can, can you give us a bit of an overview of the kind of condition of hen harrier in Scotland? Sure. Yep. So um, I'll just talk a wee bit about their their conservation status first and then think a little bit about eeks. So we've got a pretty good understanding of how hen harriers are doing in Scotland, including sort of data on their their population size and population trend, because there's national surveys that are carried out kind of every seven or eight years for hen harrier. So the latest one was in 2016 and picked up about 545 territorial pairs. And this was a a drop of 88 pairs since the last national survey, uh, which was 2010. So Scotland remains the stronghold for the UK hen harrier population. So we've got about 460 pairs out of that 545. So you can see the bulk of the, the UK population anyways in Scotland. Um, and the longer term figures for the 
UK populations show a, a bigger decline. Surveys go back to about 2000 of about 27% or so. So um, they're declining. Um, this pop, UK population anyway of 545, is um, there's been quite a lot of work that's been carried out on the species. And some research has kind of looked at habitat availability and suggested that there's the potential for a population of around 2,600 pairs. So you can see there's quite large parts of the range that they're, they're not found in, and there's a lot of uh, opportunity for population expansion if it was an increase in population. Um, at the same time, the hen harrier is really popular amongst kind of raptor enthusiasts. Um, you might have heard of the Scottish Raptor Study Group. And they do loads of work in terms of kind of going out every year, locating and monitoring breeding attempts. And every year they do about 250 territorial pairs. So they actually cover around almost uh, half of the Scottish population. So you can imagine that's like a really high proportion of the population that gets monitored, provides loads of data for, for lots of research and, and, you know, understand how they're doing and, and what their conservation status is. So kind of to, to, to pull that together, all the bird species uh, in the UK, all the conservation NGOs and the statutory agencies, they bring all the data together and information together. And every so often they produce a report called Birds of Conservation Concern. And uh, you, you might have heard it in the news recently. The fifth report just came out earlier this month. Uh, it's also sometimes referred to as the UK Red List of Birds. Um, it uses the subjective criteria to sign all birds either onto a green, amber or red list. And uh, because of you know the size of the population and the, the recent declines, the hen harriers remains on the red list. So it is, you know, a, a priority species, uh, rightly so, for sort of conservation activity. That's great. I, I think that's, that's a really nice overview there. You mentioned the the national priority species just at the end there. Why are they important, um, hen harrier? I mean, what what function do they play in terms of conservation in the uplands? Yeah. So I think I think this is quite a simple one. They're they're not really you know sort of an, an ecosystem engineer species but they, they, like you know some, some other species but they are an apex predator they're a, they're a top predator you know in amongst sort of upland ecosystems so when they're present i would say it's you know it's a sign of a healthy upland ecosystem that, that's functioning well that the the top of the, the food chain if you like or the food web is there and it would suggest that the food web's quite healthy all the way up from the up from the very bottom. So I would I would kind of hone in on that. You know, if if they're present in a certain area and doing well, it's it's generally quite a good sign for the, the wider upland ecosystem in that region. And do we know what's been causing their decline historically? Yeah. So I mean, I'm guessing most people are probably quite familiar with with some of this. So. It, kind of applies more generally to, to birds of prey. But, you know, in former times, it was it was a much more common species across our uplands, the moors, bogs, and, and, and other areas. But, um, you know, following the, the creation of sporting estates during the 19th century, especially grouse shooting estates, it was quickly exterminated in, in the mainland. And only on islands such as the Uists and Orkney, where grouse moors were never viable, tiny populations were maintained in those areas but then going into the, the 20th century two world wars uh reduction in keepering and also the kind of vast rollout of forestry plantations in the uplands which at least initially can create conditions for harriers you know they get fed stuff from deer um the dwarf shrubs the heather grew up rapidly creates good sort of feeding grounds and, and nesting sites so that provided a, a comeback opportunity um 
And so the population rose and then it sort of peaked at the beginning of the 21st century. But as I mentioned, it's it's kind of been falling since. And uh, yeah, lots of different factors um, behind those those declines. I mentioned forestry, but, you know, hen hours might be able to colonise those areas when they're planted. But as the, the canopy closes, um, those those areas, obviously, it's an open bird species, no, no longer become suitable. Uh, of course, we've got the you know, the sort of well-documented illegal persecution of the species as well um, that can, that sadly continues. Um, and, you know, that's been identified in, you know, several reports, not just RSPB, but but government-led reports as, as, as the kind of key barrier to their population recovery. But like loads of species, there's then, you know, there's then additional causes behind their declines and they can vary kind of regionally. So up in Orkney, for instance, you know, you've got the stoat that's, colonized the Orkney Islands. It's a non-native species, or it was giving a helping hand anyway. You know, it's wreaking havoc with ground nesting birds. So, you know, it's a really important population up on Orkney, and, and that's having an impact up there. Um, and then another honest thing that I'll, I'll admit through the, the course of some of the, the, the questions you're going to ask is, you know, there are some factors that aren't fully understood. Uh, we've got things like climate change, agricultural change, um, which Sometimes gets characterised as intensification, but actually I would suggest in some instances more focused on abandonment. You know, so again, different factors playing out in in different areas um, and some local threats as well. I think that's a that's a really interesting point that you've just kind of touched on there, Dan. It's something that's come up this season with with a couple of the podcasts now. Is this idea that land uh, abandonment or, or leaving it to nature is not necessarily best management practice um, interesting as well you you mentioned the invasive species there um, i'm working on a, a a control plan for for mink on aran right now um, obviously it, it's got a, a a huge designated upland area and, and henhari are being the protected species there um, you also you touched on climate change there we're recording this in the backdrop of of cop um, do we know how climate change is likely to impact hen harrier? So, um, I mean, when it when it comes to hen harrier, I don't think there's any specifics like studies that have been carried out on the hen harrier as a species. And I, I think generally, you know, it's only maybe the last twenty years that there's been some species specific studies. So, whilst there's research for for other bird species, I don't think there's anything specific for hen harrier. But um, in twenty nineteen. There was a, a, a sort of questionnaire that went out to hen harrier experts across Europe, and there was a kind of gathering in the Netherlands, and it was to talk about the different threats and to kind of assess the different conservation activities that were going on for the species. And so I think there was about 60 hen harrier researchers and experts, you know, spanning sort of NGOs, but also government, academia, etc. And um, they came out with a sort of list of the top threats and they've got habitat loss, predation and yeah, extreme weather and prey availability are in there. So I think probably the kind of the key implications for hen harrier are, you know, the, the prolonged kind of wet periods in the breeding season, particularly say kind of in, in June time and in, in July, either when adults are, or the females are incubating on the nest or when the harrier chicks are, are just, just outside the nest, you know. So chicks of most bird species aren't really capable of uh, kind of complete thermal regulation, you know, when they've still got their downy feathers on. So they're really prone to hypothermia when they're exposed to prolonged periods of wet weather. So that's that's a big concern. And, you know, most of your listeners will 
oh no, we've had we've had those wet long wet periods in recent years, and we're beginning to kind of see those effects, I suppose. And also, I guess you know those young birds are dependent on the parent birds going out hunting. So, and you know, raptors are mostly out foraging during drier periods. So again, long periods of wet weather might reduce the amount of food coming back to the nest. Uh, so you could get kind of nest abandonment, etc. Um, I, d- I did wonder as well about, um, and I must admit, I, I was looking into this um, kind of indirect effects. So it might be in terms of reductions to their food supply. Uh, the harrier is he- heavily reliant on vole populations, and you know, we've kind of heard over the years of kind of the vole population cycle that happens, and sometimes that's broken down a little bit, and there's suggestions around climatic factors being responsible for that but um i'd say there's from what i can tell not loads of information out there but there was a study in america that looked at the vole populations and found that they're actually quite resilient to extreme weather events so so voles might be okay but then you know the other prey species of hen harriers are small birds like skylarks and meadow pipits and of course the the chicks of, of grouse in places and also the chicks of waders and again they're they're ground nesting species uh they're suffering the same effects of like prolonged wet periods so that that could have an impact on on food supply as well so um that would probably be the you know the estimate of of, of how climate change is impacting hen harrier yeah yeah no that's that's great um i'm wondering can can you give a little bit of an idea for the for the listeners the kinds of management that you would like to see for for hen harrier then yeah sure so it's kind of um, we always, I think, in, in nature conservation, and uh, use this phrase mosaic. You know, um, a mosaic or a mix of habitats, and those habitats have different structures. So really, that's all about kind of appropriate grazing and cutting regimes across the the out by and the in by fields and the rough grazings uh, for harriers to nest and feed in. So um, you know, generally speaking. Um, we would expect to see hen harriers do better and they do under more extensive grazing systems in the in the west of the country and, and, and up in the north where the, where those those mosaics are kind of put in place because of the, the farming systems that's not to say there can't be like for a lot of wildlife you know more intensively managed grasslands etc uh, across the farm holdings as well but from a harrier point of view they're looking for old stands of heather to nest in so they nest in tall old sort of sometimes called leggy heather sort of the sort of heather that's kind of up to your knee height or or even above that so it'd be ideal you know that those areas aren't cut or burnt because those are the areas that they're likely to nest in and i think it rings a bell that they also are more likely to nest in those areas on south facing slopes so that might be something to consider um kind of maintaining wet areas so i've had kind of first-hand experience of this on a farm that i work with where you get these big dense areas of, of rush pasture and, and sometimes they're kind of viewed even in conservation circles as not being of too much benefit but actually those dense rushy areas that become really thatched do have quite an important ecological function and those stands of rush can sometimes be used as, as winter roosts so birds in, in varying numbers you know come down and, and roost there in, in the evenings and at night times so man, maintaining these areas of tall undermanaged wetlands can be quite important as well and of course, these places also provide nesting sites for things like short-eared owls um, and species such as grasshopper warbler. So then they also need kind of shorter, grassier habitats. So kind of grassier areas are where you tend to get voles in higher densities. So it's, it's ideal to have that mix of longer heather to nest in, 
close to these wet areas and rank wetlands for roosting next to grassy areas for hunting. So those are the kind of kind of habitats that um, you know harriers are are, are using on farms. Um, then there's a few other things you know that peatland restoration. Um, you know that's kind of being scaled up across the country at the moment um, through peatland action and things like the carbon code. And you know wetter areas, I suppose, in in some instances, and this links back to climate change. You know, whilst we might have wetter areas, we might have drier periods in the summer as well. And you know, peatlands that have their hydrology restored will be less likely to have severe wildfire events. And with um, you know harriers kind of feeding and, and nesting in these areas, that could potentially reduce losses from from wildfires. Fires. Um, I know you're going to ask a question on, on predator control. That's part of the, the mix as well, you know, in terms of the, the conservation toolkit. Um, so, so those are those are some of the things, I w- the key things I would suggest um, in terms of what you might be looking to do uh, from a habitat management point of view. You touched on another thing there that I thought was quite interesting, Dan. Um, and, and I can only speak for Hen Harrier here in Ayrshire. I, I, I wouldn't know too much about too many other designated sites across Scotland, but where there are designated sites for Hen Harrier in Ayrshire, there does seem to be a reluctance to, to burn. Um, and I was wondering if you could just comment on that. Will that be in relation to maintaining that mature heather for, for nesting? Do, do you think, is that the link or, or what is it about burning that's that's bad for hen harrier? Well, I think that's it. It's probably more, you know, if, if, if burning's away from, from, from deep peat, you know, and on, on sort of sh- shallower soils then, and it's um, being carried out at a certain scale, um, I don't see a huge problem. It's more that you want to maintain those taller leggy stands of heather you know and if it's part of agricultural practices to burn on on mineral soils you know and and in these areas that i'm talking about that are more focused on the grassland you know from a kind of vole and um, small bird perspective you know that's that that can be part of the, the toolkit as well and part of the the management for harriers no that's that, that's great um dan do we have an idea of what mainland uh, or, or, or mainland europe um, is like in terms of hen harrier management and numbers. So I, I, I did have to swap up on this. So thanks for sending some of these questions through in advance because, um, yeah, I was a bit out of touch with a hen harrier on the continent, but I knew there was some key differences. So I think the first thing to say is the hen harrier has a really huge global range. So it's found all across kind of the, the temperate region of Eurasia, all the way east to the Kamchatka Peninsula in Far East Russia. And um, I mentioned the population in the UK there, you know, of about sort of 500 uh, pairs or so. Uh, but globally, we're talking about 330,000 to 512,000 individuals. So, um, you know, for a bird of prey, it's got a big range and it's got quite a lot of, of uh, it's got a large enough population size. So at a global level, it's classified as, as least concern on the IUCN red list. So this is the thing that you sometimes hear in the news that assigns species to sort of critically endangered or, or vulnerable. So that's quite positive at that global level. Um, whilst our harriers are mostly here all year round, you know, some of them move to the, the continent. It looks like, you know, the, the harriers over in Russia was interested to see the map get away from the Siberian winter and they're flying down to coastal parts of, of Southeast Asia in the tropics. So, um, you know, it's a species that actually occupies different habitats in different parts of the world. Um, kind of in terms of Europe itself, BirdLife International, which is 
the sort of association of the RSPB and, and lots of different um, bird conservation groups in countries across the world, every so often they release European red list of birds, and this is produced about every seven years. And again, one has just been produced this year. And um, again, it's kind of positive in a way for Hen Harrier because it was previously on the near threatened list in Europe in the 2015 review, and this time it's on, on least concern. Um, I couldn't find any background data as to, to why it's been kind of downlisted, if you like, but I'm guessing it's due to overall better population trends or or sometimes a species is re reassessed as more survey data comes in. So kind of reasonably good news at the sort of international and European level, but that's not to say that, uh, you know, national trends aren't declining. It seems to be the case from what I can see that that is happening across quite a lot of European countries. It's probably just not happening to a degree that warrants it being on this this near threatened list. Um, again, I mentioned there was the first kind of international hen harrier and short-eared owl gathering in the Netherlands in 2019. Um, and it, it sort of looked at some of the population trends and, and did report quite a lot of declines. Um, but it's interesting to see, you know, we talked about habitat management and threats here in Scotland um, and how there might be some common threats across the range. But when you go into places like France and Spain, the hen harrier actually nests in crops. So one of the, the biggest issues is accidental nest destruction from, from harvesting operations. So uh, it's always always quite interesting to look at a species and look at what's going on in different parts of its range for sure. And uh, Dan, obviously we're, we're a couple of years into the Brexit process now, um, but I'm just wondering from a policy perspective going forward into the future, do you see any of the nature conservation designations or, or protected status changing um, for, for hen harrier or, or any bird species going forward? Mm. So I think the short answer to this is no, certainly for hen harrier, since it remains on the red list, uh, as, we, as we mentioned there, and continues to decline uh, in Scotland and the UK. And kind of more generally for all bird species, probably not in the short term when there's, the, you know, the policy world is just continually in a huge state of flux. Um, and I think also because, you know, there's been quite a lot of of studies and research that's been looking at protected areas and you know assessing how effective they are and i mean the, these reviews come out and consistently show that protected areas are a vital tool uh in our kind of response to the nature and climate emergency so they're going to remain really important into the future and the natura directive so that's the eu birds directive and the habitats directive which encouraged member states to produce you know sbas special protection areas and secs uh, special areas of conservation. Um, they've been hugely beneficial for nature across Europe, including Scotland, and they're, they're now enshrined in domestic law in the last couple of years that's happened. So RSPB uh, undertook some research looking at the, the this Natura network um, and found that 92% of the EU's important bird areas, so those are things that were carried out before Natura sites, 92% of them were, were protected um, and they would otherwise be unprotected if it wasn't for the Natura site. So broadly speaking, those sites are in, in the right places. <laughs> and also we looked at species on the different annexes of the birds directive and species that were on annex one um, have fared a lot better than other species. So it just shows that kind of designated sites do, do work. But a, a key message is always that they can't just be designated. They need to be, you know, they need to have adequate resources being assigned to them from a point of view of monitoring and, and habitat management and um, things change, you know, and we sometimes have to 
change the conservation approach as well um, as new, new threats maybe emerge as, as land management changes because nothing really stays the same does it so um you know with that in mind i think it's you know if i'm being honest i think probably recognize there are challenges for for certain species um that are assigned to protected sites and i think for hen harriers it, it can be quite problematic um i think some of this might be explained by the the species ecology so they're 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 very migratory you know they've got dispersal movements and these kind of extend far beyond the size of most protected areas you know they're roaming across really quite large areas of the scottish uplands but you know we've been tagging birds and we've found birds that are going down into to france and spain you know and over into scandinavia as well so they're they do undertake quite long movements so it's difficult to, to cater for them entirely within a protected site um and at the same time you know some of the spas certainly one of the ones i work on where we've seen a, a big decline in the, the harrier population well they'll be roaming around and they'll be looking for areas where there's um, good prey availability and um, someone also mentioned to me actually um, someone that studies the birds has suggested that they think that they might be able to detect where there's lower fox density so you can imagine a ground nesting bird would yeah gravitate towards places with with lots of food and if they could detect there was uh, reduced numbers of foxes you know which would be a key predator of them so that might take them over into places like like driven grouse moors where there is a lot more prey you know and, and predator species are at lower densities but where the, the much publicized um, issues um, occur so so there's you know there's aspects of that that maybe don't quite align with, with hen harriers in some places um, and I mentioned I keep on going back to this this European meeting but it's where a lot of expert knowledge was kind of brought together and, and one of the conclusions in that resulting papers um, is that protected areas uh, were perceived by the experts to be less effective than active management of the species and habitats. So just underlining that point really that, you know, protected sites are all fine and well, but they really need to go hand in hand with the resources to undertake habitat management, species management, um, you know, and to monitor the impact and to continually assess whether it's working and, and change course if needs be. And just touching on active management there one of the things that we discuss quite regularly on the podcast is the the role of grazing livestock in the farmed upland environment i wonder if you could just comment on where you see livestock and, and in particular cattle um with regards to, to hen harrier management yeah so i mean livestock are absolutely critical and um <laughs> farmers that i'm going out to speaking to you know i'm very much um encouraging and supportive of, of any conversation around cattle and for me also brassica crops and any small scale cropping in the uplands i think they just have such a key role for for biodiversity more more generally but um, that would probably be another podcast to talk about that um but yeah we've got this range of moorland and imbi habitats that hen harrier are using for nesting and feeding and, and roosting and and the maintenance of most of these habitats is, is totally you know heavily dependent on appropriate grazing regimes and and underpinned by you know sustainable farming systems in those areas so you know some of these habitats benefit from being lightly grazed but in some cases it's, it's beneficial to actually increase grazing and in increase cutting as well or as or as you kind of hint to there to change the stock type so you know i suppose the, the cattle numbers um alongside cropping you know it's been quite well documented their declines over the years um and we we generally know cattle are you know really 
an ideal match from a sort of nature conservation point of view in terms of ensuring that habitats don't become too too static. You know, they, they mix things up, um, as, as most people will be aware. Um, and, you know, from our own point of view with our nature reserves, well, we've got an upland nature reserve in East Ayrshire that harriers use. And we've also, you know, focused on curlews and peatlands there. Um, and uh, like a lot of our reserves, <laughs> considerable amount of the management is being delivered through through a farming system and sometimes that, that farming is in-house and other times we've got you know long-term lets with um, graziers and we're currently looking to get cattle onto that site and have been for a couple of years and I'm hopeful that we're quite close to doing that because we've got these quite rank patches of millennia and Russian we would just like cattle to get get onto those to graze them down to, to push them back a little bit make some of these areas of vegetation a little bit more species rich to benefit a whole suite of upland birds and hen harrier. So yeah, cattle have got a key role to play um, now and into the future. That's great. A really nice message there. Um, You mentioned predator control a little earlier on. Um, I wonder if we could just circle back around to that. Could you kind of elaborate on where predator control fits in with hen harrier management? Mm, Sure. So you know, as as a as a as a ground nesting species, and I would probably separate ground nesting bird species. You could put maybe kind of game birds, waders, and raptors. You know, they all have one nesting attempt, and they have one brood. Whereas a lot of our smaller birds, like skylarks and meadow pipits, you know, they've got two or three nests of clutches of seven or eight. So, so they tend to be less susceptible to to predation. But the the raptors uh, that, are, that are on the ground and, and waders, etc., are very much susceptible to nest and chick predation by predators such as foxes and stoats, especially where those predators are found in high densities. So for reasons we don't fully understand, but is likely to be linked to how we manage the land, the UK has got the highest densities of foxes in Europe. Um, so yeah, these birds, again, highly sensitive to nest and chick predation. Uh, the adults are, are relatively safe, um, by the way. Obviously, they can kind of, in the most instances, escape predators, but it's the it's nest and chick predation that's the, the worry there. So, so clearly, legal and targeted predator control alongside habitat management and, in some cases, you know, protection of nests and protection of winter roosts is part of the conservation toolkit and could have an important role to play in improving harrier breeding cess. So, yeah, it's um, part of the, the conservation toolkit, if you like. That's great. And um, are you broadly, Dan, optimistic about the future of hen harrier in Scotland then? Um, I'm not sure about being a, sort of 100% optimistic or 100% pessimistic. I was trying to get my, my thinking on this. You know, the harrier faces some serious challenges and, you know, we're seeing these recent declines recorded in the, the national survey. So it, it clearly probably needs a bit of a refreshed approach. And um, there's been calls for a kind of European species action plan. And I, th- I think that's something, you know, to support so that um, there's, there's, there's more opportunities to think about future conservation management and revisit some of the threats it faces. Um, it's difficult to see the, you know, the ongoing persecution reports of that and not be pes- pessimistic. However, you know, from our perspective, the Scottish government's set to consult on licensing grouse moors early next year, as well as banning burning on t- deep peat. And I mentioned some of the, the potential benefits around those. So those could be two quite important steps towards kind of breaking what is, if I'm being honest, an ongoing cycle, albeit by a minority, you know, in terms of, of raptor persecution, including of hen harriers. Um, there's more causes for optimism, uh, as I mentioned earlier, around the, the restoration of peatlands, which has really kind of ramped up in recent years. 
and sounds like it will expand considerably more in, in future years. Um, and then I've got grounds for optimism in places like Orkney. I talked about the, the impact of stoats, you know, but then there's the stoat eradication project, which seems to be going quite well. And I was speaking to a colleague in advance of this podcast, and apparently Harriers had quite a good um, breeding season this year. So it might be that that work's beginning to, to pay dividends. Um, but then in amongst the optimism and the pessimism is also complete uncertainty in terms of what happens, you know, with the, the post-Brexit agricultural support schemes. And, you know, clearly that's going to have huge implications, as, as we mentioned, on supporting livestock systems in certain parts of upland Scotland. And that's going to have a huge bearing on the habitats that species like hen harry require. So, so big, big question marks there um around the future of the species yeah it, it's maybe worth just reiterating we, we kind of danced around it at the beginning of the podcast that there is this announcement of the the deadlines for the 2022 eeks funding round and um, presumably rspv would be prepared or, or willing to to consult and and give their opinions on on anybody looking for support putting together an application we can. Um, it's a. I know it's a busy time for yourself, Alec, with the agri environment, and it is. It is for us, and we we do have sort of certain areas of the the country where we're mostly working. So we can't guarantee actually paying you know site visits to everyone, but absolutely do get in touch, and we'll provide as much free advice as, and support as we possibly can. So <clears throat> if you're in a Harrier area, but um, you know also if you're looking to undertake management for for some other priority species, we've. You know, we do have um, kind of in-house expertise and we can maybe chat over the phone, uh, which is becoming, you know, easier or teams or whatever in this day and age and, and provide some advice uh, and also point you in the, the direction of certain resources. So, yeah, there, there's good opportunities, um, but we know it's a, a competitive scheme as well, you know, so um, just get in touch and we can, we can have a chat about the species and habitats on your land and um, see what see what level of support we can we can give. That's great. And and Dan, I ask this question to absolutely everybody who comes on the podcast. Um, as a, a final question, what have you seen recently happening within the industry that you think more people should be paying attention to? Is there any good practice or innovative ideas you want to draw attention to? Yeah, um, so the last few years have obviously been very interesting, haven't they? Um, and I, th I think one thing I've picked up is since Brexit, actually, that, that some some farmers that maybe had a certain view of of what the RSPB and other conservation organisations thought on topics like farming issues and predator control, they maybe had quite a set idea, but some have got in touch with us and it's been kind of new audiences for us. And, um, you know, perhaps they're surprised to hear some of our views on what we would kind of consider high nature value farming and the importance of farmers being recognised for the, the good quality um beef and lamb that they produce in Scotland, but also the wider range of public benefits they provide in terms of nature conservation and ecosystem services, such as, you know, the peatlands as the, with the potential for carbon sequestration. So, so I think it's just generally quite good to go off and, and speak to, speak to as many people as possible. And, um, well, so we can't, we can't say with, with certainty, I think there's, there's absolutely no harm in kind of trying to get a better understanding of what species and habitats are on your farm and what the, the priorities are um, in terms of conservation targets for the future. Um, I, guess, I guess peatlands are the obvious one at the moment, you know, a big kind of hot topic, uh, really effective kind of response, if you like, to both the nature and climate emergencies. 
there's more funding coming down the line, both public funding like Peatland Action, but also private funding through the, the Peatland Code, which you might have covered on your podcast and people might be aware of. You know, that's all being kind of fine-tuned and worked through at the moment in terms of how it will actually work, actually work. But it certainly sounds like, um, you know, there's going to be um, potentially money there in the future to to restore and, and manage peatlands into the into the future, and my understanding is that if if that kind of approach works with peatlands, then we might start seeing a similar approach adopted for other priority habitats that that particularly those that maybe store carbon, such as such as fens, but also kind of lowland wet grassland and you know floodplain meadows, etc. So. Um, yeah, there's, it's it's always changing, but um, yeah, just speaking to people, you know, and just getting a bit more information if you're interested is, is a good way to go. Um, so that would probably be the the sort of key thing I would I would recommend, uh, which is which is useful for ourselves as well to to be speaking to farmers on the ground in that sense. So that's great, um, Dan Brown. On behalf of the Farm Advisory Service, um, thanks very much for for sitting down for a chat. No problem. My pleasure. Thanks very much.